welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 14 and episode 3 in which Jesus appears to two disciples on the road to the village of Emmaus. And we're going to be following this story from Luke's account in Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 35, which we'll come to um, in a few moments. Well, series 14 is devoted entirely to the extraordinary story of Jesus's resurrection. But in in order just to remind ourselves of the context, uh, we need to just uh, reconsider for a second the events that led up to his uh, death. It all happened so very suddenly that it was hard to comprehend the transformation that had taken place. On Palm Sunday, the first day of the last week of Jesus's life, he'd entered Jerusalem with a huge crowd cheering him on and expecting him to do great things in Jerusalem uh, and bring in the kingdom of God in obvious political power as well as spiritual power. Yet by Good Friday, he was being crucified on the cross. Within that five-day period, he'd gone from having popular acclaim from huge crowds to being humiliated and crucified on a cross by the Roman authorities. On Palm Sunday, the Roman authorities were hardly aware of Jesus and little concerned about him. On Good Friday, they were executing him. Something incredible had happened in the middle, which had caused this transformation of Jesus's uh, life from such popularity to a sudden death. And what had happened was the determination of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, that they wanted to get rid of Jesus and have him executed. And they were very ably assisted by Jesus's disciple Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him in the middle of the week. On Wednesday, he spoke to the authorities and on Thursday, he led them directly to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper, where Jesus was arrested. And then events moved so incredibly quickly. The Sanhedrin was gathered in the middle of the night to have a, an interrogation of Jesus and to adjudicate against him, uh, which they did, claiming he was a blasphemer and a false messiah, and they determined to hand him over to the Roman governor at the earliest possible moment on the Friday morning. Uh, and this happened so that Pontius Pilate was forced to make a decision about Jesus very, very quickly and under great pressure from the Jewish leaders who pleaded with him and urged him and called upon him to uh, crucify Jesus. And so it was that Jesus died. His crucifixion took place immediately and uh, took six hours from the moment he was nailed on the cross until the moment he died at 3 p.m. on Good Friday afternoon, hanging on a cross uh, at an execution site just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem with crowds looking on and jeering and uh, supporters and disciples bewildered to know what to think after such traumatic events. Then, of course, Jesus was buried. And we told that story in the last episode of series 13 by uh, two members of the Sanhedrin who'd become secret disciples of Jesus, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and 
Nicodemus. But in series 14, we've been following the amazing story of the resurrection. There's a huge amount of material about the resurrection of Jesus. And we've been looking at the accounts of John and Matthew in particular, keeping in mind Luke and Mark and information that comes from the first chapter of the book of Acts and from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we've already told two remarkable stories of uh, resurrection appearances and we're now moving to another different one altogether. Each gospel writer brings a different emphasis to their account. And at the point that we come to now, certain things have happened which um, are going to affect all the people involved in the story that's going to unfold before us as we read Luke's account. You see, there have been two resurrection appearances to women, female disciples of Jesus, which have taken place early in the morning near the tomb and one of them is recounted in John chapter 20 and concerns Mary Magdalene, who had a unique and individual encounter with Jesus. And the second one, which followed shortly afterwards, was with the rest of the group of women who came very early in that morning to uh, attend to the tomb. There were probably five or six in that group. And we saw in the last episode, looking at Matthew, Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 28, how as they went from the tomb back into the city to tell the disciples that the stone had been rolled away, there was no body in the tomb, the grave clothes were lying there. As they were heading in that direction, they encountered Jesus. And they were able to tell the disciples that they had seen Jesus. So, Information is spreading around the city amongst the followers of Jesus and different information is coming to different people and the main group of 11 out of the 12 disciples are receiving information from the women about the empty tomb and the possibility of resurrection. What were the disciples to think about this? There was a sense of anticipation, a sense of uncertainty. They'd been through very traumatic experiences in the last few days. They weren't uh, in a hurry to believe good news because they had had some terribly tragic experiences. They'd been there in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, when Judas had come in with the temple guards armed. Uh, they'd seen Jesus arrested and humiliated. They'd heard about his trial by the Sanhedrin. They'd heard about his trial uh, by Pontius Pilate and most of them had not witnessed the crucifixion but they'd heard the terrible details of Jesus's agonizing death on Good Friday and they'd heard about his burial. And here they were in Jerusalem having had a very strange Saturday or Sabbath day, very quiet day, numb, confused, grieving, traumatised. Peter particularly traumatised by the fact that he denied Jesus uh, three times. He denied that he was a follower of Jesus when he was in the courtyard of the high priest's house uh, during the night between Thursday and Friday morning. So what was going to happen next? 
something unusual happened, which is told to us in full, in, in uh, significant detail by Luke. And we're going to read the account of the encounter between Jesus and two disciples on the road to the village of Emmaus in Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Emmaus was a village about 11 kilometres away from Jerusalem. So this was uh, a significant walk which took um, plenty of time. And here's what's happened on the road. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles or 11 kilometres from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not... Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the roads and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them 
when he broke the bread. This is a well-known story and it features two men, one called Cleopas and another unnamed, who were amongst the wider discipleship group of Jesus. They weren't part of the 12, now known as the 11, because Judas Iscariot had betrayed them. The 11 were in Jerusalem, but here were some followers of Jesus who were living uh, at this time or staying in lodgings outside the city. City was full, lodgings were hard to find in the city, and they were staying in the village of Emmaus, about 11 kilometres away. Cleopas was probably the husband of a lady who's named in John's Gospel, John 19 verse 25, as Mary, wife of Clopas. She was part of the group of women who were at the crucifixion, standing at a distance. So this suggests to us that this is a husband and wife couple who have come from Galilee, who are long-term disciples of Jesus and who are both supporting the group of disciples and both eyewitnesses to the events that were taking place at that time. Their mood was reflective, sombre, sad. Their faces were described as downcast when they entered into conversation unknowingly with Jesus. They were thinking that it was terribly hard to explain what had happened. It went quite contrary to their expectations. They were probably present at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday a week earlier and they saw all the crowds and all the excitement of Jesus coming into the city. And now here they were a week later pondering the sudden death of Jesus and also trying to work out what was actually happening that day because they'd heard some strange rumours. When another person comes and joins them on the road, they don't recognise who it is. This is similar to what happened to Mary Magdalene because John 20 describes the fact that Jesus appeared to Mary and spoke to her before she realised who he was. She thought he was a gardener. And it appears a characteristic of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, <clears throat> that at times he disguised his appearance while he was seeking to um, reveal himself step by step to his followers. So they walked along the road and they talked together. Many of you will be familiar with this experience. Such a common experience in so many cultures, isn't it? You're walking along with somebody, other people come and join you and you have that wonderful experience of just sharing together as you're walking along the journey uh, from place to place something that I really love doing. And I can so easily imagine them welcoming a third person and very willing to talk about all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. And of course, everybody knew what had happened. There was no one in the area who didn't know that the great prophet from Galilee had come to Jerusalem in a blaze of glory, but had ended up five days later crucified on a cross. The people generally were confused by all this. It was a well-known story. News spread fast. And these disciples told Jesus, whom they didn't yet recognise, that they had hoped. We had hoped 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Luke 24 verse 19 to 21 describes uh, that part of the story. They really believed that Jesus was going to do something wonderful and everything suggested it. Now was the time. He had the crowds on his side. He had momentum. He had opportunity. What sort of things did they expect Jesus to do in Jerusalem at this time? Well, they already knew because they were disciples and followers of Jesus that the greatest thing he did was providing salvation and forgiveness of sins for people. They'd seen him uh, pronounce forgiveness of sins over people many times. I'm sure they hoped that Jesus would come to the temple and restore true worship for many ordinary Jews. The temple was not a representation of true worship. They knew that it was controlled by a hierarchy of priests who were making a lot of money out of the process through their market trading and in other ways. They knew that there was corruption in the religious elite. They wanted a restoration of true worship. They probably expected the Messiah to overthrow the Romans and their associates like Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas and uh, the other rulers. They hoped that this man, Jesus, who was biologically related to David and was acclaimed as the son of David, would restore a Jewish monarchy, the monarchy of David, which had lapsed hundreds of years ago and which they longed to see restored. They wanted to see Israel be a great nation again. Israel prosper under the blessing of God without the Romans as the imperial rulers. Perhaps they even hoped for what we've described in earlier episodes as the messianic age. The disciples described the events of the day as far as they knew them to Jesus, who they didn't yet recognize, saying that some women had seen the tomb empty, had seen angels, that some of the uh, disciples had already been to the tomb to check it out and found that it was empty. And then Jesus began to speak to them and said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then he started uh, talking to them about Old Testament scriptures, Hebrew scriptures and prophecies. And he started going over the prophetic story of who the Messiah would be. And then they end up in Emmaus and Jesus agrees to stay with them at their request. He breaks bread and suddenly they recognize who he is. And as soon as they have that recognition, he disappears. And so the disciples rush back to Jerusalem to tell the 11 disciples and others who they found gathered together the news that they'd encountered Jesus, only to find that the 11 disciples said, well, he's appeared to Simon, Simon Peter already. He's had an appearance So during the day, after appearing to Mary Magdalene and to the women, Jesus appears to two men on the road to Emmaus and also to Simon Peter. And this 
appearance to Simon Peter is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where in verses 3 to 6, Paul describes a series of resurrection appearances. Let's focus for a moment on an important aspect of this story, and that is the discussion and explanation that Jesus gave to them while they still didn't recognise him from the scriptures about the Messiah and the destiny and ministry of the Messiah. We don't know what texts or scriptures he referred to. Many Christians over the years have said, wouldn't it be wonderful to have been in that Bible study with Jesus and heard him explain how the scriptures all fit together and point to him. And in my mind's eye, I've often gone to that uh, occasion and wish I was there along with those other two, listening to the things that Jesus had said. Probably he would have referred to Genesis 3.15, which speaks of the seed of woman, somebody coming from Eve, from her biological line, who would crush the serpent, the enemy of mankind, the devil. Probably would have referred to Genesis 12 verses 2 to 3, where God speaks to Abraham and promises, amongst other things, that one day there'll be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. He might have gone to Genesis 49 verse 10, which speaks in prophecy that the tribe of Judah is going to be singled out for some royal power. Probably he would have gone to 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16, which speaks of David, who came from the tribe of Judah, being a king whose dynasty would be an eternal dynasty and who would have great successes that followed him. He might have gone to Micah chapter 5 verse 2, which describes the Messiah as being born in Bethlehem. He might have gone to Psalm 2, which describes the messianic ruler as the son of God. He might have gone to Psalm 16, which describes a Davidic successor or holy one who will rise from the dead. He might have gone to Psalm 110, describing a messianic ruler who will also be a priest forever. He might have gone to Daniel 7, describing the vision of the Son of Man at the, uh, at the right hand of the Ancient of Days in power and glory and dominion. These and many other scriptures were ones that Jesus could have referred to. But in order to explain that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory, as he states in Luke 24, verse 26, almost certainly Jesus would have directed the attention of these two disciples to Isaiah chapter 53. This is a chapter we've spoken of on a number of occasions as a key prophecy concerning the identity of the Messiah. This prophecy in Isaiah is the most decisive and clearest and longest prophecy that explains the necessity that the Messiah must suffer and suffer death on behalf of others. It's quoted a number of times by Jesus. It's referred to a number of times by the gospel writers. And almost certainly Jesus would have spoken to them from this text, which I've got in front of me here. 
it's a good exercise to read the whole of the prophecy from Isaiah 52 verse 13 to Isaiah 53 verse 12. It's frequently quoted in the New Testament. And I'm going to read a few sections here because these demonstrate the point that Jesus wanted to make to these disciples. The Messiah had to suffer before he entered into his glory. Verses four to six. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, the second half. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. Jesus here is the substitutionary sacrificial atonement, taking the sins of other people upon himself and dying in the process. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. This passage clearly states that he'll die, but also rise again. He'll come back to life again. And that's the bit of the story that the disciples have always struggled with. They could see the, the power of Jesus. They could see the grace of Jesus. They could see the miracles that he could do. And they found it tremendously difficult to understand that he needed to suffer and die. He told them many times. He warned them. But they struggled. They really struggled to understand. And these two disciples are still wrestling with the same questions in their conversation along the road until Jesus comes along and illuminates their mind. And after Jesus has gone, they had that conversation together where they said that their hearts were burning. Something amazing was happening as they were beginning to understand things that had been hidden from them. They suddenly began to realize that this death wasn't a disaster. It was a necessary step on the way to salvation and that resurrection would, would come, would follow it. And here they encounter the risen Jesus on the road. What an amazing story. Things are really beginning to move now in Jerusalem. Because out of the ten resurrection appearances recorded in the New Testament, we, ha we now have four that have happened in quick succession. First, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene as recorded in John 20. Second, Jesus appears to the other women near the tomb as recorded in Matthew 28. Thirdly, Jesus appears to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And fourthly, at a similar time, Jesus has appeared to Simon Peter in Jerusalem. 
The appearance to Peter is important. We don't have any detail, but it's part of helping to prepare him for his central role in the church that is to come and to help him recover from the trauma of his denial of Jesus. Luke's account very much speaks like eyewitness testimony. It almost appears that Cleopas and his wife, who both experience different parts of this story, are telling their story through the pen of Luke. Here again, we see that the resurrection is an utterly physical reality. Jesus walked along the road with them. Jesus held the bread. He ate the bread. And here we see the incredible power of the prophecy of the Old Testament. The prophecy of Isaiah 53 and other similar passages like Psalm 22 are being fulfilled through the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. Our focus now is returning to Jerusalem. These two disciples are back in Jerusalem. The eleven are gathered together. Others are assembled with them. There'd been some kind of gathering together across the city during the course of the day. People began to realise things were happening. Rumours were spreading that Jesus had appeared, that angels had appeared to the women. And the story is gaining momentum. And so the focus of our next episode will be in Jerusalem, where something wonderful happens that takes the story a stage further. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.